All right, I want to speak to you today, and I really want to, more than anything, more than preach, I want you to listen to me, and I want to instruct you today, okay? I want to instruct you on something that is incredibly important of where we are in, and I think, this journey in our church, and I think many of you are also facing some of these things. Now, we've, uh, we've been in a, a series of messages on rediscovering the church, and I don't want to beat a dead horse but it's not a dead horse. It's a living word. Come on. It's a living word. I heard, I heard one guy say one time, he said he didn't like series. He said, because normally the pastor spent about 15 minutes in the sermon talking about what he talked about last week. Well, you know, I haven't done that. Each of these messages stands on their own, but I'm going to tell you what you're dealing with. Some of this today, what we're dealing with, what we have been dealt with for many years. And what we need to do is we need to have a prayer a victory at the end of this message today. So I want to talk about this in this message, uh, the rediscovering the church, our menace. You say, well, what is a menace? It's not Dennis the menace. But listen to the definition of a menace. I think you'll be able to define this. I think you'll be able to know what this is. Notice this. Here's the definition. Menace. It's a noun, a person or thing that is likely to cause harm, a threat, or a danger. The synonyms are danger, peril, risk, hazard, threat, jeopardy, source of apprehension, dread, fright, fear, terror. Verbs are threatened, especially in a malignant or a hostile manner. Who would that describe? Come on, come on, who would that describe? Satan, the devil. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 16. I say unto you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Notice this. The gates of hell. Everyone say that. The gates of hell. That represents the powers of darkness and literally death itself. So, so in this building of the church, Jesus indicates here that there's going to be a struggle as the church is built. As he builds his church, it's not going to be a playpen, but he says it's going to be a battlefield. There's going to be, here, this. There's going to be satanic opposition that tries to stop this gospel. Now, notice 1 Peter 5 and 8. Listen to this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because, what does it say? Your adversary. Who is he? The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The, the, our menace for the church is none other than the devil in all of his minions that are under his power. And so we're going to talk a few minutes about this spiritual warfare that surrounds our lives as Christians. How do we view it? How do we face it? How do we deal with it? When we talk about the spirit realm, there's, there's several views about spiritual warfare, demons, these kinds of things. One of the views is that there's really a denial they deny. They say, you know, there's no such thing as demons. That is old-fashioned, archaic thinking, spirits, fallen spirits. This is crazy. You're, that's just wives' tales. So there's a denial. And by the way, the enemy loves that. 
And then there's another view. There's several, but I'll just give you three. There's another view that's really kind of a dualistic kind of thing, which, which is that, yes, there's a spirit realm, but it's kind of up there with God in heaven, and it's kind of up there, but it doesn't affect us in our day-to-day to live, day-to-day living. And then there's a third, which I believe is biblical, and that is simply this. That is that there is a spiritual realm. There is more to this life than what you can see. That around us, there are both good and evil beings, spirit beings. And they do affect our lives. They do affect our daily living, human beings on this planet. And by the way, only the blood-bought, covered child of God can have victory over those forces. Now, let me, now I want to begin on a positive note. I want to begin on a positive note. I just have three main things that I want to head, that I want to talk about. So I guess we'd call them two, two main headings, and then I'm going to fill in just a little bit. We'll go quick here. More instruction than anything else, because some of you are under an assault of the enemy. You hear that? Some of you are under an assault of the enemy. Your life is under assault. Your marriage is under assault. Your finances may be under assault. Your physical body can be under an assault. Some of you are under an assault of the enemy. And I can tell you, this church right now is facing some warfare, but we have victory. We have the weapons of warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. First thing I want you to see, and I'm going to be quick here, is this. Our menace, the devil, Satan, has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Okay, we're not standing, we're not, we're not fighting from a stance of trying to gain the victory. Victory's already been won. 2,000 years ago, victory was won. When Jesus said, it's finished, and, he, and then three days later, he burst out of that grave. He is victorious over this world, over the devil. You say, well, wait a second. He's victorious? Man, he doesn't know it, or he's defeated. He doesn't know it yet, uh, uh, because look at what's happening in the world. So you've got to define. When I say the enemy's defeated... Let me define that. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be in a warfare. That doesn't mean that you won't be in an assault. That doesn't mean you don't have to fight. But what I'm saying to you, there is, there is a weapons that, that can give us victory. But I want, I want to declare the victory of our Christ in just in a few points here. One is that he did it on the cross. Remember this great verse? And I'm going to go to several verses instructing you today. In Colossians chapter 2 Verse 15, it says this, it says, uh, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against us. That means the law. The law said, keep this command, but it had no power to, give the, to keep it. So, so now the Holy Spirit's in us, and we can keep God's moral law. Then it says, which was contrary to us, notice, having taken it out of the way and nailing it to the cross. Look at verse 15. Jesus has victory over our menace today. Having disarmed, what? Principalities, powers, made, uh, uh, power, and he made a public spectacle of them. That Satan and all of his minions, Satan and all of his dark forces, look at this, triumphed. Everybody say triumph. He triumphed over them. Jesus says triumphed over them. You like triumph motorcycles, brother? You don't like them? But... <laughs> But you like the triumph of Jesus. Oh, come on. Amen. He rides a something, a habusa something. Anyway, there's a triumph motorcycle. Let me tell you, if you get on the faith motorcycle, if you get faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to get the victory. Jesus is victorious. Jesus demonstrated his victory. When he was on this planet, demons were always trying to do stuff. 
How many know those foul demon spirits are always trying to mess with God's people? I'm going to read you just quickly here. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 12. Look at this. This is verse, verse 22. Matthew 12, verse 22. And they brought him to him one who was demon-possessed. So this man had demon possession. He was blind and mute. This mute, this demon was making him blind, and he couldn't speak. And it says that he, Jesus, healed him. For the, the blind and the mute both spoke, and he saw. The multitude was amazed. Could this be the Son of God? Well, duh, yeah, it's the Son of God. Who do you think it is? And then it says, the Pharisees heard it. They said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. The ruler of the demons. They said, yeah, he's casting out demons, but he's, he's in league with the demons. And, he, and Jesus is going to show us that's blasphemy. It's blasphemy to attribute the works of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to the devil. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city divided against itself will not stand. Notice he says, verse 26, if Satan cast out Satan... He is divided against himself, and his kingdom will not stand. If I, Jesus, if I cast out Beelzebub, demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? And then he says this, verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Demons hate the Spirit of God. You hear that? Demons hate worship. They hate it when the church prays. They hate it when we get full of the Holy Spirit. They tremble. They are afraid of you. But they, they want you to make think that, that you should be afraid of them. Fooey on that. We don't have to be afraid of some demon. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. We are the children of God. Jesus is our Lord. He's leading us. But notice the teaching here, verse 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man and then he plunders his house? He was not with me is against me and he who does not gather scatters. Now notice what Jesus says here. Jesus is saying here that first of all he was showing his lordship over demons. He was driving out these demons. He wasn't tolerating them. When they would show up he would deal with them. There's some things that we need to get serious about and deal with them in our lives, in our homes, in our church. We need to deal with these. We don't run from problems. We deal with them but we deal with them not in the flesh. Come on. We don't deal with them in fleshly warfare. We don't deal with them. Our weapons are not flesh weapons, but our weapons are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. How many know the Word of God is a weapon? Enemy, this is better than a B-52 bomber right here. You hear those big old B-52 engines? The enemy trembles. Listen, that's better than a B-52 bomber. It's the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. The cross is a weapon. The blood is a weapon. So, so there's weapons. I won't necessarily talk about that today. But notice this. Jesus says here that, a, that a, a strong man, Satan, he calls him a strong man. He's got some strength. He's very powerful. Without Jesus, we could not defeat the enemy. On your own, you'll never defeat the enemy. But he's a strong man, but he has a house. And, and unless you tie up the strong man, you can't plunder his house. What is his house? What did Jesus mean there? Well, his house is this world. And also his house is anyone who lets him set up shopkeeping. 
Listen, you, you open the door to the devil, he'll come and live in your house. He'll come and set up shop in your home if you'll let him. You say, oh, no, not a Christian. Well, what about uh, Ephesians 4.27? Give no tapos. Give no place to the devil. That is, a typogra- that is a topographical word. It means a place, a geographical place. If you give the devil room, he'll say, thank you, I'll take it. But I'm saying, no room for you, devil, no place for you. Now, I was going to instruct, but I'm preaching right now. Notice that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose mind, listen, whose mind, the God of this world. Satan is called the God of this world. And there are many people, and even Christians, have given places in their lives, in their marriages, in their homes, in their thinking. They've, they've let the devil come in stealthily many times and most times, and, and there's a bondage there. And he's, listen we got to top the strong man, and we do it by what Jesus said. But, you know, prophetically what we know is that Jesus prophetically showed us that one of these days this old devil's going to be tied up, thrown in the bottomless pit, Antichrist, false prophet, and we have the wonderful book of Revelation that tells us about that. So this, it, don't, it won't always be this way. Amen? And the Lord has shown us the way to victory, and our victory is found in Christ. And to all humanity, he offers freedom. And the freedom is in the gospel. The gospel is the power to salvation. That means deliverance. The answer for every human being is in the gospel. And we're shown how to be saved. And and Romans says that. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. We believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead and we shall be saved. He has shown us. He's given us the manual. You know, if something's wrong with my car... I go to the manual. I go to the glove box. There's a book in there. It tells you how everything works. Do you know how we can relate to God and how we can live in victory? We have the manual. It's called the Word of God. And so, and we're shared with, with all of that happened. So I just wanted to begin just telling you that our menace, Satan, has been defeated. Amen. And we have victory, but only through Jesus Christ. Now, let me change gears and let's talk a little bit about how our menace, Satan, is defined in the Scripture. I want to talk about how we define this warfare, how we define this enemy, who is he? It's no, listen, there's nothing to laugh about. You don't need to be laughing. Not that anyone's laughing in here. You don't need to be thinking this is a funny subject or, oh, this is, no. I'm telling you where we're living today. And I'm telling you, if we're going to move forward, we have to get serious about this issue of spiritual warfare. So so question is, who is this menace? Who, what does he do? Who are his helpers? What are his goals? First of all, I want you to think about his ambitions. What are his ambitions? Do you know the, that Jesus outlined this in, Matt, in John 10 and 10? Notice on the screen, the thief does not come except to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So I'm seeing there two things. I'm seeing you can live in the devil's kingdom or you can live in God's kingdom. You can live in a relationship without God or you can live in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the results of those two activities are, are, are polemical. They're polemical. They're, they're opposite. First of all, we know he's called a thief. Jesus said here he's called a thief. That a thief robs in two ways. A thief can rob by force. A thief can, can punch you in the mouth or, or take a stick and hurt you. 
and, and physically attack you and rob you by force. That's how a thief can do it. It happens all the time in our big cities. Or a thief can also slip in stealthily while you're asleep. And you don't even know he's robbing you. But he's still robbing you. He's still a thief. And, the, and here's his purposes. To steal, to kill, and destroy. He steals. That means he doesn't add to your life. He takes away from your life. Look at where there's a lot of sin. Look at how the educational levels go down. Look at how the economical levels go down. Look at how the marriage, uh, marriage comes into trouble. Look at the attitudes of, kill, of, of young people toward parents. Look at the family unit. Look at where the Word of God is ignored in our world, and you'll see the enemy has stolen. Sin doesn't add to your life. Steals from your life. And then he says he comes to kill. He wants to kill us. Wants to take our life away, destroy our life with God, and ultimately to destroy us in the pit of fire, in the second death, in the lake of fire forever, to that place called hell, that place that was never meant for you and I as human beings. It was created for the devil and for his angels, but men go there because they reject Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So what are his ambitions? His ambitions are to kill, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What about his activities? Where is his activity? Think about this. His activity influences the whole world. Notice this in Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Notice this. Notice where some of your struggles have been coming from this week. Principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places or heavenly realms. And that means this, that around us there are both good and evil spirit beings. We know there are angels that are sent forth, good angels that are sent forth to minister to those who will be the heirs of salvation. Amen? Aren't you glad for the good angels? They show, up, they show up everywhere in the Bible. There's no doubt in my mind that God sends his angels to watch over us, and I'm grateful for that. But that's only half the story. There are in, invisible spiritual beings that the Bible calls principalities, powers, hosts of wickedness, uh, rulers of the darkness in the invisible realm. They're all around us. They want to hinder what we're doing here. Notice what 1 John says in 5 and 18 and 19. We know that, notice this, we know that whosoever is born of God, over, uh, whosoever is born of God does not sin. And that doesn't mean he doesn't ever sin again. It, does, it means that a Christian doesn't live in willful sin and rebellion. So don't let that stump you. Maybe, you've, maybe you failed the Lord this week and you're feeling some shame over that. Well, get right. Come on, we can get right today. Amen. He welcomes us back. But notice this, but he who is born of God keeps himself. Notice this, and the wicked one does not touch him. So there's a place we can walk abiding in Christ. There's a place we can walk in obedience. The enemy doesn't have free access to your life. It's only when we open the door through disobedience and we, we disobey the word of God that we're opening the door to the enemy. We don't have to open the door to the enemy. I want to live in that place where you say, nah, 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 you can't touch me, devil. Come on, we don't, we don't have, the devil doesn't have open access to our lives. Listen, if he did, he would have already destroyed you. No, your father's watching over you. But notice this, notice this, verse 19. We know that we're of God, that's the church, and notice this, the whole world. Everybody say the whole world. The whole world lies under 
the sway of the wicked one. Now notice this. Notice this with me. There's those that teach the sovereignty of God in an extreme manner, and they say that, that the Lord is in control of everything that happens. Everything that happened this week, all the good, all the evil, all the everything, all the sin, all the righteousness, because God's sovereign. They say he, allowed, he controlled it all. I disagree with that. God is a holy God. So what, what do we believe about this? I do not believe that God has direct control or doesn't take direct control over the sinful, evil, cruel, wicked things that happen in this world. God is not, he doesn't tempt anyone. He is loving, he is pure, he is holy, and he does not desire that any of those things happen. We have a free will that God's given human beings. We can choose the good or we can choose the evil. And so I don't believe that God is involved in those things. I believe that our world is in sinful rebellion, and that sin affects all of us. We're affected, even us as Christians that know the Lord. How I many know we're affected in the sowing, reaping process? When, when our leaders in our nation make poor decisions, it affects our lives. So, so we see we live in this world where Satan has sway. And, and what I believe is this, that God is sovereign and that there are times in his sovereignty that in his redemptive acts, he'll, he'll step in and involve himself. But that doesn't mean he's in direct control of that person that murdered, or that pedophile, or that, or that wicked thing that someone did. God did not do that. Who did that? Satan inspired that. People give their wills over to him. Why does God get blamed with those things? No, the Lord is good. He has never sinned. His son has never sinned. The Holy Spirit would never sin. He's a holy and loving God. And it's Satan that inspires evil. And it's Satan that inspires wicked hearts to do those things. Because he has sway over them. They've given him that sway. But one day he's going to come in his sovereignty and deal with all of it. But right now, Satan is the God of this world. Right now, we're facing warfare. So why do we, what, what do we do here? So think about his ambition his activities. Now, let's, let's look at this, and we'll spend a few moments, and then we'll close. Let's look at his anger. Satan's very angry today. His anger is focused at God, and his anger is focused at God's people, humanity in general. But in particular, there's an anger of Satan toward God and everything that has to do with God, and, and you're involved in God's kingdom. So you're a target of the enemy. Well, pastor, I don't want to be a target of the enemy. Well, it doesn't matter what you want. You're in. You're in the game. Come on. You're not on the bench. No one's on the bench. You think, you think just, because, just because you're a child of God here, you think the enemy's going to leave you alone? No, no. You're in the game. You got to get ready. We got to get prepared. Okay, so let's, let's look at this. Revelation said this in 12 and 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. And you who dwell in them, notice this, woe to the, to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows his time is short. So let me, let me, let me bore in on how the enemy works in lives. Okay, I want you to listen. Are you listening? Just say, amen, pastor, I'm listening. Amen. I want you to hear this. This is very important. I'm going to give you a spattering of things of how the enemy works in lives and how he will try to work in our lives. Mark chapter 4, verse 15. Here's what we see. Mark chapter 4, verse 15. Here's one of the ways that he works. Jesus speaking here. 
And these are the ones by the wayside where the word was sown, preaching of the word. When they hear, Satan comes. So right now, when I'm preaching, you think the devil's not working? He's working in this room right here. He's trying to work in your heart and mind. You think the enemy tries to, when, when you share the word of God, enemy's right there. I mean, right now, there's warfare going on. What does he do? Notice here, it says he comes, Satan comes immediately to do what? There again, to rob, to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. He's trying to take away the power, the effect, the fruit, the blessing of the word of God. So what does the enemy do? He's trying to undo God's work in your heart. I mean, I mean, we've all experienced this. God will work in you. God will touch your life on a Sunday. How many of you have had, by Monday morning, the enemy's trying to rob that? Come on, right? Come on, look at me. Are you tell- I'm telling you, all of a sudden something hits you. You say, where'd all that joy go? Where'd all that victory shout go at the church? Where'd all that warm feeling I go? The enemy's trying to take away what God did in you. It's a warfare that we're in. It's not a playpen. It's a battleground, dear ones. It's a battleground that we're in. He's trying to take away the word. I'm going to say, devil, you can't take it. I'm going to keep it. I'm not giving it up. He may try to, he, he, even if he tries, he can't take it away if I don't want him to take it away. Because I'm going to keep it in my heart. I want to read it. You need to read the word of God. He said, I don't feel like reading it sometimes. That's the time you really need to read it. Come on. Amen. I, 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 and so, now think about this. He's trying to undo God's work in you. He's trying to take away the work of God in your heart. Here's the second thing, and that's this. He'll bring circumstances into your life where he'll try to get you to turn away from God. We get an insight. Old Job, poor old Job. His turkey was even suffering. Job 2 and 4, look at this. It says, and Satan answered the Lord. See, Satan has no good for you. None. He's, he's wheedling around, scheming around. Look at this. Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone, or and uh, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. God at times allows suffering in our lives. Why? Not so we'll fail. The Lord believes in you. The Lord believes the best in you. Listen, there's no trial, there's no temptation, there's no difficulty that you face that God hasn't already equipped you to go through it with victory, with your chest stuck out, your head up high, because greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. But if, if you don't avail yourself to God's weapons, you're going through a storm. The enemy, God has a plan for your victory. The enemy has a plan for you to curse God. He wants you to blame God. He wants you to say, God, if you love me, you wouldn't let this happen or that happen. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy says, listen, they'll curse God. And do you realize this? When you go through a trial, you have one or two choices. Not many. You have just two choices. You're going to go through a trial, and one of the choices is, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're going to show up in the furnace. I know that you're going to close the mouths of the lion. I know this trial is going to turn out for a great test. I'm going to get a testimony after this. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to keep my eyes on the living God. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. That's one attitude you can have. The second attitude is this. 
to cave in, to give up, to blame God, to throw away your Bible, to quit church, to stop praying, to stop praising, to stop worshiping, to stop believing, stop hoping, stop praising, stop being positive, and all of a sudden the enemy will join your choir. He said, that's right, you're not going to make it. That's right, you're never going to come out of this. See, you're going to either praise him or you're going to cave in. And so that's what's happening to Job here. He wanted Job to turn away from God. But Job's woman couldn't even get him to turn away from God. You speak like, I'm not looking real because my wife's not foolish, but I don't want to mess with her. You speak like a foolish woman. The Lord's given, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't sin with his tongue. He didn't curse God. He didn't doubt God. See, what does the enemy do? He wants to work in your heart and take away what God's done. He wants to turn you away from God. But notice this. Notice what he did. Turn, look at John chapter 13. John 13. I want you to see this. Judas. He instigates evil. Before an action ever happens, there's a thought process that goes on. There's influence from the enemy. There's suggestion. Notice how it happens here. This is very revealing. This is verse 2, 13-2, John. After supper being ended, notice this, the devil, the devil, having already put it in his heart, put it in the heart of of Judas. Had he done it yet? yet? Hadn't done it. All of a sudden, the enemy's massaging that in, isn't he? Enemy's working that disobedience in. The enemy's putting a thought in his mind. It seems, it seems insane to me what's happening here, but it's amazing what people will do. It's amazing how people act and think. Notice this. The devil already put it in his heart of, the, of Judas Iscariot uh, son, Simon's son to betray him. Hadn't done it yet, but look at verse 27 of this same chapter. Notice this. It says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. See, there's a process here. It's not just one step. It's like a whole bunch of little steps. The enemy's working on you. The enemy's massaging those thoughts. The enemy's suggesting some things. The enemy's trying to persuade you with suggestive thoughts. What do I do, pastor? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he will, if it doesn't agree with this word right here, run from it. Resist it. Get your life full of God's word. Get, get in church. Get in a prayer meeting. Get around godly people. Run to Jesus. Come on. Run to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Don't betray him. Do you see how it happens there? Instigates evil. Now, I've got to land this. Skip some of this. What are his weapons? How do we define them? First of all, deception. He's a deceiver. You know, one of the major things that are going to happen in these last days is 20, 24 of Matthew, verse 4. Be careful that no one deceive you. Satan is a deceiver. He is a liar. He's called the father of lies. He lied and deceived Eve, was deceived. He, he will say, like he said to Eve, has God said? And then he'll go on to say this, you shall not surely die. See, he puts doubt to you concerning the word of God, and then he will 
absolutely defy the word of God. See how he massages it in? Oh, now has God really said? See, it's kind of subtle. And then all of a sudden, oh, now you know that, that if you do this, you will be like God. God is keeping something from you. So what are, what are the enemy's lies? I'll tell you some, some lies of the enemy. He'll, he will impugn the character of God. He will try to convince you that God is not good and his way is not good and his way is hard. And he will impugn the character of God like he did to Eve. He knows that God's keeping something from you, basically. He will lie about the way of salvation. He'll lie to you. He gets people in two ways. He'll get, he gets people inflated with pride. And they're so self-centered. And they're so egotistical. And they're like they're worshiping their own egos. And then there's other people that are on the other spectrum. The enemy doesn't have them in pride. He's got them in pity. And all of a sudden, woe is me. And, 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 and it's both ways. The enemy doesn't care how he gets you, just as long as he gets you. He doesn't care. His tool. He just wants to rob you of God's grace and God's life. He'll lie about your circumstances. He'll say, what you're going through is unique. He'll say, Nobody, you're never going to come out of this. You're, that need will never be met. God's forsaken you. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Deception. Everybody say deception. Division. I won't touch long on this, but I can tell you this. The enemy will take many times unconsecrated, carnal people, place them on a church pew or some leadership position and fill them with carnal thoughts and they bring division, and they bring destruction, and they bring hurt, and they devour the church. Many pastors have poured their souls for years in the work of God to have some carnal person just devour it through the work of the enemy. And I say, no more. I want to I be like Shammah. Remember that old guy in the Old Testament? The Philistines would come in. He would sow the seed, he would plant the seed, he would water the seed, he would care for the seed, and about the time harvest would come, the, the Bible said the Philistines would go, oh, look, we're going to get us a harvest. Well, I'm going to tell you, Shammah got his belly full, and he said no more, and he said this, I've left this bean patch for the last time. And he took up arms, and he began to slay him some Philistines, and he was fighting. He, why? He defended what was his. And I say today, no more, no more. Let's build the work. Come on, let's build the work. Let's build the work. Come on, let's build the work. Here's another way, and that's discouragement. Hannah, precious Hannah, so discouraged, couldn't have a child. Prayed, prayed, prayed. Delay, delay, delay. Her adversary tormented her. Elkanah loved her. Probably his first wife loved her with all of his heart, blessed her, gave her gifts. But she was so discouraged that finally one day the Bible says that she just went and she just poured out her heart to the Lord in prayer. And, and, and Eli said, you know, that woman must be drunk. Look at her over there, mouth and stuff. She's not even saying anything. And, and, and Eli was so undiscerning at the time. He said, listen, you, woman, you know, don't, do the, don't, don't be evil. She said, oh, I'm not evil. I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm pouring out my soul to God. And then Eli gets spiritual, and the Lord comes on him and said, Listen, what you, what you prayed for, the Lord's going to do it. The Lord's going to bless you. But you know what? She was discouraged. You know, the enemy will play into your discouragement. He will, he will literally, 
I'm going to tell you, discouragement is a mighty tool against the enemy. It will, you know, joy is your strength. The Bible said the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you have that joy of the Lord, there's a, there's a strength to your life. Discouragement is like the flu. You, you feel like you, you, you don't want to pray. Come on, let's be honest. You don't want to pray. Preaching's hard and you're, you, you, you're getting motivated. You just feel discouraged. You've been plowing. You've been working in your ministry or whatever you're doing for God. The Bible said hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when a desire comes, it's like, the, it's like a tree of life. The enemy wants to discourage you. And there's also difficulties. Here's what Paul said. Listen, I'll be closing just one moment. The great apostle Paul, here's what he said. He said these words. Satan hindered me. Mm. Do you know that Satan wants to make everything difficult? Here's the great, greatest Christian that ever lived, greatest minister that ever lived, said, Satan, I wanted to do this, but Satan hindered me. I don't even know how to define it. I don't even know what happened. But what we know is whatever happened to him that stopped him was Satan. It was the work of Satan, probably through people. Probably through people. You have to study it out. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18. Sometimes sickness... Is, is an attack of the enemy. That doesn't mean that every sickness is directly like of a demon. But what it, you know, gen, sometimes it's just that we're part of the human race and we're frail. But sometimes it is a demon spirit, the devil himself. In the book of Luke, it said, This woman whom Satan has bound these years, these 13 years. Sometimes it's disillusionment. That just simply means a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery. That something is not as good as you believed it to be. You hear that? The enemy will play fantasy in people's minds. Do you, do you realize that, that even, even romance itself, you know, thank God for romantic love. But there's more to marriage than romantic love. There's a life to be lived. There's a commitment to hold to. And you realize there's people that have gotten married before and they have this disillusionment. They think it, marriage is going to be thus and so and that. And the enemy builds this up in their mind. And then a year or two later, they're divorced because they don't realize that, that they built something up that's not even of God. It's a fantasy. It's of the world. It's carnal. It's not of the word of God. It's not a real marriage. Got it from the world. Got it from some Harlequin romance or whatever. You say, how do you know about that? I don't know. I've never read one. I just heard about it. Anyway, disillusionment. Now I'll close with, with this, and we want to we pray. These are serious matters here that I'm instructing you in. We're going to have warfare. There's going to be warfare. You have to deal with it. In your family, you've got to stay prayed up. You've got to cover your family, your children, your grandchildren, your marriage. You've got to be wiser than the enemy. And, but there's warfare, but the Lord's provided us victory. Listen to this verse. I want you to stand. We close. Let's all stand, musicians. It says, you are of God, little children. 1 John 4 and 4, look at this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. So here's my question as I close. 
I want you to, as they begin to play softly, think about this question. Are you facing a battle? Are you facing discouragement, doubts, disillusionment? Are you facing difficulties? You just keep pressing, 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 and it seems like you're just making very little progress. Very well could be demon spirits or a demon spirit hindering you. Why don't we, why don't we give our battle to the Lord? And you say, how do you do that, Pastor? I really, I really want to know. That, that sounds good. How do I give my battle to the Lord? Sometimes it's so simple because we want a technique. We want a formula. Pastor, give me, give me a three steps of formula. There's not three steps, ten steps. There's one step. And that is we have to surrender all that we are to God. We have to continue to place faith in the Lord. And I, I would illustrate it this way. Jehoshaphat and Judah went out to fight. Edomites and the other enemies. And here's what the Word of God says in Chronicles. And when he had consulted the people, he appointed those who would, should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and, and were saying, so here's the, the worshipers were out front of the army and they were saying this, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And I, I just imagine they kept saying it over and over again as they marched out to face the enemy. Praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. And they looked out and they saw the, maybe the swords of the enemy or whatever. And they're, what are they, they're, they're praising what, what the craziest weapons you ever saw, the most ridiculous weapons you ever saw in the world's thinking, but really in God's thinking, the greatest weapons. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Here's what it says. And now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord. There it is, right? There it is. When we give God our battle, when we give God our discouragement, when we give God our disease, when we give God our doubts, when we give God our difficulties, and we get our eyes on Him, and we say, God, I'm going to trust you, all of a sudden God shows up. And he begins to break demon forces. And he begins to push back the enemy. And he begins to make ways where there is no way. And he begins to open doors that were locked shut. Why? Because the battle is the Lord. It's not ours. And he says, they begin to sing praise. And the Lord said ambushments against the people of Ammon and Moab and uh, Mount Seir. And they were defeated. Say that. They were defeated. Say it again. They were defeated. Once more. They were defeated. And then at the end here, it says, and they helped even destroy one another. Right now, we're just going to, we're going to begin to worship. Sounds simple, but I want you, some of you are in warfare. I know it. I could, I could almost come looking at your face. I could come to you and say, you're in a, you've been in a warfare. You, yeah, pastor, that's right. I want us to close our eyes. Just begin to sing, Mackenzie, begin to worship. We're going to begin to praise as Joshua did. And worship the Lord.